BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Ever thought about owning a piece of history? Introducing the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition silver coin celebrates the historic Republican victory in 1994, marking a turning point in American politics. Give a gift with real historical weight this season. Order now at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, in his new book, Created Equal, The Painful Past, Confusing Present, and Hopeful Future of Race in America, Dr. Ben Carson talks about the current state of race relations in America. Instead of using race as an excuse to remake America into something completely antithetical to the Constitution, Dr. Carson suggests ways to bring great success to our nation and to all multi-ethnic societies by magnifying America's incredible strengths instead of its historical weaknesses. Talking about race in America has always been a difficult subject to have an open discussion about. So I'm really pleased to welcome my guests. My good friend, Dr. Ben Carson, is just an astonishing person. He's achieved so much in his career. He is a best-selling author, the former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, a 2016 presidential candidate, the former Director of Pediatric Neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins, the recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He has more than 70 honorary doctorate degrees. And I have to say, his work on twins who have been born joined together and the brilliance and the number of hours of those operations, in my mind, he's a personal hero. Ben, welcome and thank you for joining me. Well, thank you so much. I always appreciate being with you. You know, I was looking at your book and I noticed this quote. When it comes to racial issues and relationships in America, we can choose to build on the progress we've made over the centuries, or we can choose to create guilt and despair with the hope that that will further progress. Historical analysis of human interactions would point to the more positive path as the one leading to success. This choice is ours. And in a way, of course, that typifies your whole life. 
of picking the positive path to move forward, not a path of despair. But why did you write Created Equal Now? How did the idea of the book come to you? Well, there were so many situations in our society that everybody seems to be circling back to race. In many cases, they don't have anything to do with race, but they want to use that as a cudgel to beat people into submission, to make people feel guilty. And this is not to say that we haven't had some problems in our past and in, in our history, but so has everybody because we're all composed of human beings and human beings are imperfect. And what really bothered me, you know, having focused my life on the health of children, is teaching children that the most important determinant of what happens to them in life is the color of their skin. That really got to me. And I said, how in the world can we be doing that? Because I remember when I was a child, there was a lot of that going on. People saying, you know, because of the color of your skin, you can't do something. And maybe it might have actually been true in those days. But things have changed so dramatically since that time. And it was a big deal when I was a kid if a black person came on TV in a non-servile role. Everybody came to watch. This <laughs> was a big deal. And now, you know, you have heads of corporations and foundations. We've elected a black president twice. We have a black vice president, generals, admirals. I mean, give me a break. To say that we haven't had a dramatic change would just be burying one's head in the sand. Doesn't mean that we've reached nirvana. We have not. But we were making really good progress until just recently when everything is back to race again. We used to aim for a colorblind society, and now it's racial identity, identity politics. That's the most important thing. And what is it actually doing? It's dividing our society on the basis of race, income, gender, age, religion, political affiliation. You name it, we're dividing our society. This is the only thing that can destroy our country. We're much too strong to be brought down from the outside. But from the inside, we can, and it's happening. And then you look at some of the policies that are being generated right now. How do you get the American people to accept defund the police and letting out criminals and leaving our southern border open? How do you do that? You make them feel guilty. Guilt trips so that they won't say anything, so that they'll stand in the corner with their head down and hope no one calls them a nasty name. And then you can say, see, I told you the system didn't work because nothing but chaos is being created in the process. I remember back when we watched Gifted Hands together, a significant part of that movie is the role that your wife Candy played starting at Yale. And I've always been intrigued. Apparently, if I understand it, back in 71, you met when you were students at Yale, but you were both from Detroit. That's right. Did you not know each other before you got there? We didn't know each other in Detroit. We had to go to New Haven together. And, you know, obviously the relationship was facilitated by the fact that we were from the same hometown. <laughs> so when we would go home for summer or for vacations or holidays, we would be able to see each other. I got the distinct impression that she was a significant, beyond the romantic interest, she was intellectually a significant part of your Yale experience and encouraging you and keeping you going. And has been throughout the time. You know, I got to tell you, the way it worked is I was resisting romantic relationships 
And then on my senior year, I just said, Lord, it's time for me to stop resisting relationships. So please make sure the next one is the right one. And it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So the book is with Candy. What role did she play and how do you two interact in something like this book? She does the research. She spends hours and days just researching all the facts. The third chapter is about the history of race in America. And it starts not at 1776, not at 1619, but in the 1500s, St. Augustine and places like that. And it's really quite interesting when you go through the history. You'll find fascinating things like there were black slave owners in America. And in Commonwealth of Virginia, we quote a law that says black slave owners cannot own Christian slaves, which was the euphemism for white slaves. It was pretty amazing, some of the things that went on during that time. But it also shows you that people are people. They're good white people and bad white people, good black people and bad, bad white people. You know, it just doesn't make any sense for us to sit around and try to distinguish who people are on the basis of superficial characteristics over which they have no control. When we know that the thing that makes you who you are is your brain, not your skin. It's not your hair. It's not the shape of your nose. And I talk in a book about how animals react so quickly. They react to what they see, to what they hear, because they have well-developed midbrains. We don't have well-developed midbrains. We have well-developed frontal lobes, which allow us to extract information from the past and the present, integrate it into a plan, project it into the future, plan, strategize, analyze. And that's exactly what Dr. King was saying when he said he longed for the day when People will be judged on the content of their character and not the color of their skin. You're reminding me the first time I heard you at a prayer breakfast. You started by going through a whole series of technical terms relating to the brain and saying to the audience, none of you expected a black guy to say that and none of you knew what it meant. And that's why education matters. I sat there just, my jaw was hanging open. It was a brilliant presentation. And of course, you became one of the great neurosurgeons of the last 50 years and were a genuine pioneer. But I notice as you try to explain all this and create it equal, you talk about growing up in Detroit, Boston, and Chattanooga. How did you pick those three towns and how were they different in terms of racial tension? Well, I wanted to point out the fact that you could be in different parts of the country and it would color your perception of what race relationships were. You know, in Chattanooga, when I was six years old, I pointed out that it made an impression on me seeing the signs that said white and colored when it came to the drinking fountains. And I wanted to know what that was all about. And my relatives down there explained, make sure you pay attention to those signs. You won't have to worry about that when you get back to Detroit. And in Detroit, I lived in an environment that was all black. Black schools, black churches, black neighborhoods, black everything. So race really wasn't much of an issue. You know, I would see white policemen and some white teachers. They all seemed like nice people. So it really was not a big problem. We lived in Boston for a couple of years, and the racial tensions there were much more pronounced. And that was really where I first encountered, you know, racial hatred. In all of those places, I point out how significantly things have changed. 
within 10 years of the time that I saw those white and colored drinking fountains, they had disappeared. You didn't see signs like that anymore. Doesn't mean that people didn't still have some issues. And I explain all of that in the book, perceptions and things of that nature. But I think the thing that we have to celebrate in this country is that we make progress. America is a different kind of place. And, you know, we recognize problems and we have a choice of analyzing those problems and learning from them as opposed to trying to rewrite our history. And that's why I rail so much against those who want to rename everything and take everything down because there are no perfect people. There was only one perfect person, that was Jesus, and they crucified him. So it is really kind of a silly endeavor to go around looking for perfection to honor what we should indeed do and use those great frontal lobes is analyze the person, analyze what they did, analyze the context in which it was done and see if there's something to emulate or something to make sure that we avoid in the future. And that's how you learn from your path. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids, but I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free.
You know, you talk about using frontal lobes, and I noticed that one of the things you comment on in the book is that from the fifth grade until the second half of the eighth grade, you were the rare black student in a white educational environment. And during that time, you went from the worst student in the class to the best. How did you jump from worst to best in a couple of years? What was the key to that? Well, I developed a voracious appetite for reading. You know, when I was in the fifth grade, my mother made us start reading books, and I loved animals. So I read all the animal books in the Detroit Public Library. And then I went to plants. And then I went to rocks because we lived near the railroad tracks. And what is there along the railroad tracks? <laughs> rocks. And I got to the point where I could identify virtually any rock, tell you how it was formed, where it came from. And the fifth grade science teacher one day walked in and held up a split black shiny rock and says, can anybody tell me what this is? Well, I never raised my hand. I never answered any questions, but no one knew. And I said, this is my big chance. And I raised my hand and I identified it correctly. Everybody was shocked. And I explained how it was formed and their mouths were hanging open. And I was thinking, you know what? Everybody calls you a dummy. You're not a dummy. You were the only one who knew the answer. Why? Because you were reading the books. From that point on, I became a bookworm. If you saw me and I had five minutes, I was reading a book. I began to learn everything that there was under the sun. And my horizons grew from Detroit to the world, just knowing stuff. Do you still read that voraciously? I still do read a lot. Absolutely. I have the same habit. I read constantly. You have to tell the story that I don't know if it's in the book or not, but I remember you talking about it, that your mother had a very tough approach about the grades you were going to get and what would happen if you and your brother didn't get good grades. Well, I mean, she basically told us we couldn't go outside and play anymore <laughs> if we didn't learn certain things. Her friends were always criticizing her. They were saying, you can't make boys stay in the house and read books. They'll grow up and they'll hate you. And I would overhear them and I would say, Mother, you know they're right. <laughs> it didn't matter. <laughs> we still had to do it. And I think she had the last laugh because one son became a brain surgeon and one became a rocket scientist. So maybe she knew what she was talking about. She was the wisest person I ever knew. She had less than a third grade education, but she was always observing stuff and putting two plus two together. And, you know, she noticed in the homes that she cleaned that these people read a lot of books and they didn't watch a lot of TV. And she concluded that that was the secret. And that's why she imposed that on us. And, you know, she was right. Well, it's funny to me because I remember in your speech, she said people would say, how could your mother do that? And your answer was she understood she was the parent. And I think that explains a lot of the last 40 years that we forgot that when kids rebel, they need parents to put them in the right direction. And if the parents are trying to get the affection of the kids, the kid has nobody to bounce off of and learn about the right way to live. And the family structure is so vitally important. You know, that's one of the things that has been destroyed, particularly in the black community in this country. And I think that's why we see so many problems. And, you know, there are those who want to blame the wealth gap on systemic racism. And there's a big wealth gap between blacks and whites, five to 10x. But it doesn't exist with Nigerian blacks or Ghanaian blacks or a host of other blacks who come to this country. And why is that? 
Well, if you examine one of those families, you'll notice in a Nigerian family, for instance, a bachelor's degree is the baseline. That's where you start. And there's a huge emphasis on family and family structure. So if you look at American, traditional American black families, where those things are important, education, family structure, there's very little wealth gap there too. So is it possible that maybe we're looking at the wrong things? My granddaughter went to school with a young lady from Nigeria whose family was totally dedicated to she and her brothers getting education. She actually ended up, I think, at UCLA and is doing very well. But they had a culture. I agree with you. I think we have a cultural problem that we allow politicians and the news media to misidentify as a racial problem. It's actually cultural. But I have to ask you, again, because you are a brain surgeon, you know so much more about this than I do. You have this great quote, you cannot overload the human brain. If you learn one new fact every second, it would take you more than 3 million years to begin to challenge the capacity of your brain. Expand on that. It's a great line. And as a bookworm, it makes me feel better. But expand on it. Well, I said that because there are some people who tell you, don't learn this or don't learn that. You'll overload your brain. The human brain has billions and billions of neurons, hundreds of billions of interconnections. It can process more than 2 million bits of information in one second. It remembers everything you've ever heard, everything you've ever seen. You can take an 88-year-old man and you can drill a little hole on the side of the skull and put in some probes into the appropriate place in the brain and stimulate. And he will be able to quote back to you verbatim a book he read 60 years ago. It's all there. It's just learning learning how to retrieve it. That's the important thing. That's amazing. Now, but to go to the opposite direction from the 80-year-old man, you also talk about how really important it is because young children are so receptive and so open to environmental input. And that's the point at which culture really begins to matter, it seems to me. Right. No question about it. So given the mess we're in and the mess our schools are in, how do you deal with that? Well, one of the ways that we're dealing with it with American Cornerstone Institute is what I call the inoculation to it, indoctrination. And that is putting out material online, free of charge, by the way, at littlepatriotslearning.com that tells about our history as a nation, that tells about our founding principles, that tells about our documents. It doesn't leave out the bad stuff that happened either, warts and all but it puts it in perspective. And that's the way we need to be teaching our children. It's so vitally important. The Bible talks about it. In Proverbs 22, 6, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. But our enemies have known about that too. That's why Vladimir Lenin said, give me your children to teach for four years. And the seed that I sow will never be uprooted, recognizing that that's very fertile ground. And we have to be very aggressive. I'm so happy as I travel around the country to see that there's so many parents who were standing on the sideline who are now getting involved with the school board elections and with city council elections and with a whole host of things. Because this country is supposed to be about the people. It was a great experiment. Nobody in Europe ever thought it would work. They said, those people are crazy. You've got to have a monarch. You've got to have a ruling structure. 
And when we finished our Constitution in 1787 and Benjamin Franklin came out of the hall, a woman said to him, what do we have here, sir, a republic or monarchy? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it. Because no one ever really imagined that we would have the success that we've had over the last 250 years. I think we perhaps have the greatest threat to it right now. We have so many forces that are trying to divide us as a nation. The question will be, are we smart enough as Americans to recognize that we are not each other's enemies and that the real enemies are those who are trying to divide us and change our nation? In a sense, it seems to me critical race theory is at the heart of this. And you describe it as, I'm quoting you, that it's antithetical to the dream of Dr. King. And you go so far as to call it child abuse. Why are you so critical about critical race theory? Because it is child abuse. I mean, you are teaching, first of all, falsehoods to children. And you're making something that a person cannot control, which is their color of their skin. You're making that into a critical issue. And that is really quite abusive because you take a certain group of people and you infuse them with guilt. I have a friend whose granddaughter came home crying and she said, Grandpa, am I evil because I'm white? Where did she learn that from? She learned that in school. And then you have black kids saying, I can't achieve at the highest levels because this society is stacked against me. All of this is complete falsehood. It's lying. And that's why I come up against it so strongly. And if that's not enough, you confuse them about all those things, tell them that either they're evil or they're the victims while they're trying to develop their self-image. If that's not bad enough, now we tell them they may not be a girl or a boy. Why would you do that to a young person and put all of this on them when they're supposed to be having fun and developing as a child and becoming a good citizen? How can that ever lead to a good place? It's impossible. It is incredibly abusive to those children. And I've seen some of the books that they use, like they have for the pre-kindergarten and kindergartens, a little worm. And the worm can be a male or female. It can change. And, you know, this is really just to prepare their minds for all this transgender stuff. They're not ready for that any more than they're ready for calculus. There comes an appropriate time to begin to talk about such things. In your book, Created Equal, you really take on the 1619 Project and critical race theory, and you sort of have a mini history book in the middle of the book in which you outline things. Is this, in a sense, a fight over the nature of history and the nature of facts? Absolutely, because as you know better than anyone, your history is what gives you your identity. And your identity is the basis of your belief system. So if you can destroy someone's history or change the history, then you can change their beliefs and you can make them very, very vulnerable. And that's why when ISIS goes into a place, the Taliban goes into a place and they conquer it, what do they do? They destroy the museums and the libraries. They get rid of the history. And then they find it much easier to substitute what they want people to know. It's exactly what's going on in our country. And we have to be cognizant of it. And we have to resist it, fight it very, very vigorously. 
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Ben, tell me what you're doing with the American Cornerstone Institute and its efforts. Can you also describe the Little Patriots program and how you hope to offset the activities of the left? Yes, well, our first book came out in November, our first children's book. It's called Why America Matters. And it's beautifully illustrated. And we've recently hired a Disney animator, by the way, one that's not woke, by the way. (laughs) Beautiful illustrations in the book of the principles that were so important to the founding of our nation. That is our faith, which teaches us how to relate to our fellow man, love your neighbor, not cancel your neighbor if they don't believe like you do. Our liberty, which is critical and which makes America the shiny city on the hill to which so many people aspire. Our community, our ability to work together, even from different backgrounds, to accomplish goals that are beneficial to the whole society and our respect for life from the womb to the tomb. And those are illustrated through beautiful pictures in the book. There's a guide in the book, a little eagle called Liberty Eagle. And 
Liberty Eagle has two wings, a right wing and a left wing. Can't fly with two right wings, can't fly with two left wings, but together can soar. And we make that clear to the children. We have another book coming out very shortly, Why I Stand, about the American flag and what's behind it and what it represents. Because, you know, there are too many people who've gone off on the other end and they denigrate the flag without really understanding what it means and what it symbolizes. And we'll have a series of other books coming out. And we have online programs at littlepatriotslearning.com that goes through the history, tells you about the Mayflower, tells you about the early settlements, tells you about slavery, tells you about the Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, why all of those things were developed in a way that children can understand. It puts it all into perspective. It doesn't whitewash anything, but it makes it very clear when they've read all of this that we live in a terrific country with enormous promise. And that's the reason that so many people want to come here and that we have an obligation to make sure that it stays that way. Can everybody access this learning opportunity for their children or grandchildren? Anybody can go to littlepatriotslearning.com right now, today, access the program. And like I said, it's free of charge. It would normally be a fairly expensive program because of all that's been put into it. But we have wonderful donors, and we always like to have more, who make it possible for us to offer this free of charge. Now, you also have a program as part of your commitment to a better future called the Carson Scholars Fund. What does that do? Well, that started a little over 25 years ago. I was speaking in a lot of schools, and I would see all these trophies, all-state wrestling, all-state basketball, all-state everything. But what about the academic superstars? What did they get? A little National Honor Society pen and a pat on the head. They're their little nerd. You know, nobody really cared about them. And we said, we have to change this. And so we started recognizing them with money and with celebrations, and they can start as early as the fourth grade. And I tell you, you give a fourth grader a scholarship, they automatically become big men on campus. And there's a big trophy that goes out in the trophy case with their name on it, and it has really changed things. Last year, we gave out our 10,000th scholar. And that program also has reading rooms. We've put in 250 reading rooms. We have several more scheduled for this year around the country, particularly in Title I schools, where a lot of kids come from homes with no books. They go to schools with poorly funded libraries. They don't become readers. And the studies have shown us that if you can have a child reading by grade level at grade three, it completely changes the trajectory of their lives. Those are the kind of things that we have to concentrate on if we really want to make a difference. If people go to the American Cornerstone Institute, can they both help with the scholars program and help with the student program? That would be carsonscholars.org. But if you just go to the bencarson.com website, it can farm you out to other ones that you're interested in. You've remained a very, very active guy. I mean, I'm, it's sort of amazing given your background. Like you. Well, sort of. I will confess up front, I never did anything comparable to the groundbreaking neurosurgery on children that you did. I could argue that what you did with the contract for America and how you changed that whole dynamic and were able to work with Clinton to do some amazing things with the budget, that's not been repeated. 
Well, okay. We can both admire each other and continue to move forward, I think. We're also proof that you can be a citizen your whole life, which is, I think, part of what you've proven and done brilliantly. I'm delighted with what you're doing. We're honored to be able to work with you on educating children. And I think that your entire career is a remarkable tribute to America and that you and Candy have made a difference. It's really very, very, very impressive. And I think we're going to save our country, too. I really believe that. And people worry about that every place I go. But I say, this is America. We are Americans. We're not sheep. We're not going to lay down. We're not going to let somebody take all of our rights away from us. There's going to be some turmoil. There's no question about that. But we're going to win. I think that's right. And I think part of the reason we're going to win is because people like you value citizenship. And, you know, you could go off and spend the rest of your life just relaxing and living off of an extraordinary career. But you're totally engaged as a citizen. If we get enough citizens to be engaged, we will drown the people who want to destroy America. I want to thank you for joining us. I think your contributions, both writing this book, your leadership at the national level, it's a great contribution to America. Calista and I are delighted to call you and Candy our friends. And I want to let our listeners know that they can get a link to buy your new book, Created Equal, The Painful Past, Confusing Present, and Hopeful Future of Race in America, on our show page at newtoworld.com. And we're also going to put on the show page how they can link to the course for children which I think they will find really exciting opportunity to offset all the efforts of the left. So thank you for your citizenship and your leadership. Thanks for having me, and thanks for being a patriot. Thank you to my guest, Dr. Ben Carson. You can get a link to buy his book, Created Equal, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and expect. 
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Ever thought about owning a piece of history? Introducing the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition silver coin celebrates the historic Republican victory in 1994, marking a turning point in American politics. Give a gift with real historical weight this season. Order now at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com.